Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. I forgot my name then, I'm Benjamin Halden. And who? Not to one in a while. Today's is a very special episode, for one, it's our first episode back since me and Lucy got engaged. Ding, ding. I, you, that, I did that, yeah. You I can get closer in the next episode. It was just, Cal, Cal suggested, so if you're not on YouTube, head over to YouTube, you literally right this second, pause and go to YouTube, and then while you're there, yeah. you may as well subscribe. Can we can we see that, Carl? We've got it perfect, by the way, guys. So, yeah, there you go. But in other news, in today's episode, we have Dr. Sarah Schwitz, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in LA and founder of Couples Learn. She's been working with couples and individuals since 2008 and has advanced training in areas of attraction, attachment, conflict management, infidelity. infidelity and a whole host of other areas within relationships. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how porn, OnlyFans, and social media has effects on relationships, and also, is it time for you to call your relationship and end it today? We also discuss topics that are a little bit awkward to bring up with your partner, such as money and sex. It is a fantastic episode, and it is also sponsored by Coro. Oh, we said it at the same time. That was so instinct. We actually i'll probably get something on this for the next episode lucy doesn't know this but i ordered a cupboard lock this week from amazon it's basically a padlock because <laughs> is that what's a, in the box this, this order from Cora that we got this month is massive by the way i'll sh- we'll bring it on for the next episode the chocolates that we got but i have been balls deep in that cupboard ever since we got back up holiday is that was is that is what's in the amazon parcel on yeah, the side it's a padlock because i put weight on when we're in america and i was like all right i want to come back and trim down a little bit I can't because these chocolate, these've got these new balls, yeah. Pretzel, and, balls. Oh, pretzel balls. They're like Maltese on steroids. So I've had to buy a padlock. The new chocolate in there is insane. We also got some of the kombucha again, which has been great for my stomach. Um, but the, the, we basically just on this month's order ordered everything. Anything that's healthy, we was covered in chocolate, which is great. Um, but I just basically can't resist it. So now we're padlocking the cupboard and Lucy was going to have the combination so that every time like it's, feasible for me to have something so every time i need to go in my little pantry cupboard i'm gonna have to put a padlock on unlock it lock it no, every it's a, single it's a numbered time one, like one with combinations how even more annoying i'd rather have yeah. a little key that i can open and anyway we shut. will leave the link <laughs> for the coro not the padlock for the coro all uh, that we made but you might start needing padlocks <laughs> yeah as, as well as the discount code not so fit five which will get you discount off coro Enjoy today's episode, guys. And as always, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, either on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, or all three. And please, 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 we beg of you, leave a review. How do people leave a review? You go to Apple iTunes, you type in the search bar, the Not So Fit Couple podcast, you click on the Not So Fit Couple podcast, you leave five stars, and you write a little review. Yes. There you go. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yes, so amazing to have you on. And it would be amazing if you could give a little bit more background into you and what you do with yourself and your business as well. Yeah, so I am a licensed psychologist in the United States um, and I specialize in love and relationships. So I work with couples and individuals, always in the area of love and relationships whether it's um, an individual who keeps repeating the same patterns in love and realizes they're the common denominator and they want to change that, or if it's a couple um, having some challenges in their relationship or just wanting to enhance it to really deepen their connection. Mm -hmm. 
do you work with people in terms of like all ages from as young as i don't know i don't know how how young are you when you get with well, people? Well, I, like I was in my 14? first relationship. Yeah, I was like 14, 14, 15, maybe. Yeah, right up until, I don't know, 70, 80, 90. Mm. What's that kind of age? Group? My typical age range in my practice is about 25 to 45, but there are certainly outliers on either side. Yeah, mm. we're, we're in that yeah. age group class group then, 25 to 45. Yeah, and how's, I suppose, work, and this ties into one of the, the conversations I want to have today, how's work and your workload been since covid because i went through through therapy through covid in a slightly different way as i've discussed with our listeners before on the podcast um and that field tend seemed to be very very um backloaded with people wanting to speak to therapists and psychologists have you found the same thing in your field yeah absolutely i think um being quarantined together brought out a lot of Mm -hmm challenges and relationships that people have been able to either ignore or um, let some of the steam off by doing fun stuff outside of the home. And once you were in this pressure cooker of being together all the time, everything that was wrong just came out and couldn't really be ignored anymore. So we saw a huge increase in um, client requests and my practice has always been online. So there was kind of the double component of being optimized for online therapy already which uh, made people want to work with us over other therapists who were just stumbling to figure out zoom and Mm -hmm. how do we do this online thing and we already had figured that out so yeah it was there was a lot um to handle during is still yeah with the so during covid and things like that obviously loads of couples ended up suddenly living together as we were yes yeah yeah we actually suddenly ended up moving over to when we were in Manchester at the time and we lived together and did you kind of see a general pattern amongst couples that was like the main reason why I don't know arguments you pulled up a stat I I pulled up a stat online um this is one that Califing found as well I don't know if it's just since COVID or whether this is a general thing but divorce rates and couple breakups um that 50% of long-term couple breakups so one in two people we're breaking up um mm-hmm. and i think this is one of the stats that was was published around the same time as we came out of covid again i'm guessing they're just like it's correlation causation they, they couldn't be exactly like why it has happened but there seems to be a, a strong case for that during this period it kind of excelled those rates of breakups as well well that's a, that statistic has held solid for many years mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's actually not pandemic related that's Ooh. just relationships are spicy (laughs) yeah Yeah. wow Um, at least in the United States I don't know about worldwide if that changed at all but in the U.S. um, our divorce rates hovered around 50 percent for decades now I believe wow and yeah Yeah. sorry I just wanted to pull that stat up but yeah was there a general consensus of why people were coming to you more do you think it was solely because they were just living together and I don't know more arguments not seeing eye to eye on certain things because I'm just thinking of maybe there's a few listeners who might have been through it or have gone through a breakup. So to be able to hear from yourself and maybe give them a bit of like peace of mind or your expertise in that area. Yeah. In general, the biggest reason couples come to me and my practice is communication breakdown. So either they are fighting a ton and they don't know how to resolve it or they're not communicating at all. 
Um, I think that was amplified during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But another thing I saw, which is different from pre-pandemic, is there's this, a lot of people are suffering from this low-grade depression that they don't even recognize as depression. Mm -hmm. They just feel so trapped and kind of blah from Mm -hmm. not being able to do anything for so long. And a lot of times that uh, dissatisfaction is getting turned on their partner and their relationship. And they're thinking, I need to change something. Mm. This must be what I need to change. So, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I'm seeing a lot of people that I think are in pretty healthy relationships falling out of love. And I think they're truly just depressed. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would encourage people to work on it a little bit more. If you feel like that's the thing that's going on for you, if you're just not finding motivation or interest in most things in your life and also your relationship it's probably just this low-grade kind of pandemic depression hitting you Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't make a lifelong decision yeah you know unless it's you've really been thinking about this pre-pandemic and there's been a lot of issues but that's one thing i am seeing yeah the 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 kind of thought i was pondering as well is whether the pandemic was like a real unnatural circumstances which would never have happened or forced people to spend so much time together or was it almost kind of fast forwarding it to a time where like people would have spent that much time together anyway so this may have happened but they kind of just emphasized the fact that you just weren't right together and people were were realizing that Mm -hmm. i've i definitely have seen it fast forward a lot of relationships like you two said um a lot of people had to choose between quarantining alone or quarantining with someone they kind of just started dating yeah. and yeah. it sounded a lot more attractive to quarantine with someone they just started dating yeah and a lot of those people are in successful long-term relationships now yeah but it did fast forward things um in significantly i'd say yeah we, well we've we've gained real life experience that so example Cal, who you were speaking to the producer of the podcast he was mm-hmm. i'm sure you won't mind me saying on like the peripheral just starting a relationship and had to fast forward into moving in together because it's it was either a choice of right i never see this person because we're in lockdown or we spend all the time together and really fast forward and and suppose skip a couple of steps it's beneficial for cal and andre though they're a wonderful couple (laughs) yes cal not 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 so beneficial for us because like i was saying before sarah we've this is the first episode back since we've just got back from florida and got engaged so I was actually planning the propo- to do the proposal in 2020. 2020, but because COVID, we oh. couldn't come to America. I pushed it back and then pushed it back another year. So it kind of set- settles back a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it was a two-year delay proposal. Yeah. Yeah, well, Not that I was wow. expecting it. Yeah. it was you were or you weren't? No, yeah. I wasn't expecting yeah. it. I had okay. honestly no idea. Like the thought process of Ben getting a ring across to America, just not even... I didn't even comprehend it. I thought it was like risky. No way, not going to happen. Too stressful. <laughs> um, but yeah, the second day we were there, you literally popped the question, which was really wonderful. Um, but I think Cal might have made you aware of this, but we work really heavily on social media. And there's, I mean, we're always asked questions about our relationship because we work together, we live together and all of that. And there's so many questions from other people being like, how does social media affect your relationship in terms of, do you think people, because social media is really accessible now, Instagram, TikTok, everything. I know TikTok is super popular in America. 
do you think because of the rise of social media now it has a more negative effect on people's relationships because there's so many people to compare to and basically just yeah the effect of social media now in comparison to maybe six years ago Mm -hmm. yeah I do see that a lot Um, we just have so much access to what our partner is doing online as well that um, somebody who maybe has insecurity or jealous tendencies already can dig and dig and be like why did he like that girl's Mm -hmm. post and why is that person commenting and it just spirals so quickly Mm -hmm. and then yes the comparison factor for sure because a lot of people aren't posting their worst moments most people aren't doing that and so a lot of my clients will say oh there's all these perfect couples and what are we doing wrong and i'm on this side of the couch going no no one is perfect i promise you and i really have to talk a lot of people down from comparing themselves to those kind of instagram couples Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that you touched on there was something I actually wanted to ask about. And I saw, what's Molly May and their boyfriend called? Tommy Fury. Tommy, they were talking about like almost guidelines on liking other people's photos, like as a guy for on girls' photos and as a girl on guys' photos. Is there like a general practice of that or is there a general guidance that you offer to people or is it specific to the individuals in that relationship yeah i think that's best discussed you know with the individuals in the relationship what are your boundaries mm-hmm. what makes you comfortable does that work for me it, it's such a um varied experience that people have and it really depends on your history as well mm-hmm. if somebody their ex started a relationship an outside relationship through an instagram connection then yeah they're going to be a little bit more sensitive and maybe ask that you don't connect with others on instagram someone who hasn't had that experience might not care like mm. like all the hot girls you want yeah. <laughs> as long as you're not talking to them i don't care yeah yeah <laughs> with that actually you made a really good point there and it's something that i mean i think as a woman on social media i'm always asked in terms of how do you deal with ben liking other girls pictures who are into fitness like it doesn't bother me at all that's just personal preference right. So, but for the girls who are quite paranoid about it, is there some wise words that you could essentially give them to not be so, I don't know if paranoid is the right word actually, but just very jealous, maybe very jealous, very not be able to deal with it. I suppose what you're asking is like, what's the best way to approach it? Approach it, yeah. Or or bring conversation about it, because I think some people will potentially be, find it really difficult to raise the, the topic. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's the key thing there is talking to your partner about it sharing vulnerably about how it makes you feel if you have insight into why you feel that way sharing that and then hopefully your partner has empathy and it chooses the relationship and your comfort over the desire to like other people's photos mm-hmm. um, or hopefully he or she can reassure you that it doesn't mean anything and you feel comfortable with it so it's it's really just an open vulnerable conversation mm-hmm. i suppose like sit on the other side of the fence is that the other person may suggest well it's not a me thing it's a you thing because you're the one who's potentially jealous about it you're the one who's got the issue with it and are going too too far of it mm-hmm. and I've, 
I, I don't like I just ponder like how you would even come to reason on that or come to some like mutual agreement on it mm -hmm. well in a relationship if one person has a problem the relationship has a problem mm -hmm. and I think that's something a lot of people have to come to terms with uh, when they want to be in a relationship um, doctors John and Julie Gottman are kind of the leaders in the field of research on relationships and they have found that men have a harder time accepting influence from their female partners which means they're more likely to be like this is a you problem yeah i'm not really worried about it we're fine or that's not a big deal it's not a you know just calm down um it's really important if you're doing that to not because accepting your partner's influence and recognizing what's important to them should be important to you mm -hmm. is a key factor in a healthy relationship yeah, I think that's really true. And as you said at the very start, that's where communication comes into it because definitely we communicate quite well. It's probably because we have like the podcast and we talk quite a lot. So we're very open in our relationship. And I think that's so helpful to say to people, like share the problem and then just like listen, understand, even if you don't think it's a massive deal, like the, the, the other person, if it's a big deal to them, it's it should be a big deal to you. I think that's quite a good way of, explaining it to people as well like a problem shared is a problem halved yeah is that the quote yeah that's exactly what it is in a relationship as well um i just wanted to ask you one of the questions you've touched on it a couple of times now actually is more so around the word like jealousy because jealousy is a normal human trait that everyone gets and i mean i'm definitely a jealous person like hand on my heart i think it's just one of my traits and ben ben knows that but with jealousy, is there a point where it, it goes too far and can start to tarnish and quite negatively affect a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, very often that's linked to past traumatic experiences in other relationships or in your childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's the case where you're really irrationally jealous and you can feel that it's irrational your partner can feel that it's irrational maybe your friends and family are giving you feedback like you kind of pull the people in your life and realize okay this probably isn't the normal amount of jealousy then it's definitely time to do some inner work and healing around what are the origins of that jealousy so that you just don't feel so charged emotionally when things like that happen yeah, yeah. is that when you find quite a lot of people will reach out to you in the first place um specifically around jealousy or just yeah around jealousy no it's it it usually gets to the point of infidelity by the time they're reaching out to me to yeah. be honest um jealousy is certainly common but i think it's something a lot of couples navigate and can navigate on their own through healthy conversation mm -hmm. i think the yeah. thing with jealousy is like why a lot of people don't speak about it is because socially it's seen as such a negative trait to to hold mm -hmm. and it's, it's always viewed in that way so people don't really own it or aren't really self-aware of it because we're we believe it's such a negative trait but everyone has or experiences jealousy in some form or context but if then we feel bad that we feel that way so then we don't talk about it so i think the more like the more conversations we have like this and realizing that we all get jealous like i get jealous about shit sometimes lucy gets jealous about shit sometimes but then the fact that you, you talk about it, can have an open discussion about it, I think sometimes almost drops the the weight that you bear from it by having that conversation in the first place. And that's what I think I've found massively helpful because I 
spoke about quite in depth with my therapist like two years ago about jealousy. I didn't know that I was jealous about it until I spoke to a therapist about it. I was, I'm actually, I'm actually, actually, I'm jealous about it. And then I brought her up in conversation to Lucy and then we discussed mm. it quite openly, which then almost broke that barrier down to me thinking, well, I shouldn't feel this way in the first place. That's right. And you know, it's really important in that discussion as well. Lucy, you touched on it earlier also. Um, when your partner comes to you vulnerably about something like that, you don't have to agree with their perspective or think that it's the right way to think, but you do want to try to validate it and say, okay, from your perspective, I definitely understand why that makes sense because, and then explain in depth why it makes sense mm -hmm. so that they really get, okay, you see me, you hear me, you understand me. You may not agree with me, but you get why I feel this way. And that often dissolves all of the feelings. Sometimes yeah. that's all, actually most of the time, that's all we need. Yeah, I think that's really nice as well. Just letting your partner know you've heard them, you appreciate everything they've had to say, you've listened, and then it would just fizzle yeah. out, wouldn't it? It would naturally. Yeah, what, sorry, one of, the, one of the terms that you brought up then, Sarah as well, I think was infidelity. Could you just explain to our listeners what that is as well? Well, there's many definitions and that also is person to person specific. Um, it depends on the boundaries of your relationship, but a lot of people would define it as emotional or physical connection with someone outside of the relationship, mm -hmm. uh, like romantic um, okay. connection. So, but some couples allow outside sexual encounters and they wouldn't consider that infidelity, but they may have boundaries or guidelines that if you break those, then it's infidelity. So it's, it's really relationship specific. So it's what, it's what, it's what like a lot of people would basically refer to as cheating. Say that again. It's, it's, is that what you, a lot of people, I suppose, socially would reflect on as cheating? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cheating or having an affair. Yeah. And that's what we would say. I you think. said that was one of the big reasons or it was one of the reasons why a lot of people potentially come to you to open up topics of conversation. Um, one of the questions that I had down was, again, which how much does I suppose social media play into some of those conversations? Because one of the things that we spoke about quite a lot of times, and when it comes to comparison, is that we are now exposed to hundreds of thousands of people every day online, and a lot of those are like the hyper elite, so like the best looking men in the world, the best looking women in the world, as opposed to maybe ten, twenty years ago where. The only place you would see people is down the pub or at a nightclub. You'd see maybe fifty people, and um, so the the contact with more and more people is more easily accessible. And also, like you can just slide into someone's DMs instead of having to open up and having a, a awkward social conversation with someone. So, how much do you think that has come into play with potential issues with infidelity as well? I think it's become so much easier to be unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also, you know, you didn't even mention dating apps, which is a whole yeah, yeah. other opportunity. Um, yeah. It's tough because I think dating apps and social media have changed the landscape of love and relationships positively in many ways, but also negatively in a lot of ways. It's just so easy to swipe and be like, oh, this person looks better than who I'm with and create this whole fantasy of what's out there that's mm -hmm. better than your relationship. And in reality, if you got in a relationship with that person or your affair partner, even who you might think, you know, really well, you kind of bring the same problems with you. If you mm -hmm. haven't worked on yourself or maybe it's a different set of problems, 
But again, the Gottman's research has shown that every couple has about 10 areas of incompatibility. They may vary couple to couple, but you're not going to find someone that you are just a hundred percent in line with agree on everything. So investing in kind of what's in front of you is a, a lost concept these days, I think. One of the things that's actually really interesting with that compatibility. So loads of people say with relationships, like some arguments are actually healthy to have. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Or is that just what some people say? No, it, you can really become so much closer through conflict. Um, a relationship with no conflict, honestly, I'm a little concerned that both parties are holding back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And conflict doesn't have to be mean or fighting necessarily. It just means a disagreement conversation Mm -hmm. where you're both sharing your perspective and maybe you're both validating it and empathizing with each other and it just goes smoothly. And so you feel like we don't have conflict. That's fine. But yeah, someone who's like, no, we get along about everything and there's, we don't ever fight. Yeah. (laughs) There's probably like, yeah, some underlying issues because I mean, me and Ben always have like little arguments, conflicts. I mean, we discuss a lot of different things. And yeah, we, we have some big arguments as well. Yeah, big arguments. And we disagree in a lot of things, but we're quite good at, oh, we'll agree to disagree on that one and move yeah. on. I think. But that's a conflict. Right? Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. And I think it's it also makes a relationship, it, it gives it a bit of depth because if I think one thing about a topic, say like what's a very like politics, say if I thought one thing, Ben thought another, you can conversate on it and it's okay to disagree. It's a bit of entertainment. Yeah, but I think sometimes also as well, and I've seen this like in even friends relationships where like if you don't have those conversations, then little things piss each other off. Like if I pissed you off by leaving the toilet seat up or if you pissed me off by moving and stuff like you always do, would fly out the handle because we don't have these discussions on bigger topics. So then Yes. They're just like boiling or simmer under the water and then other things come up and you like jive at each other with stuff. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. We yeah, had... or we get leaky, I sometimes call it, where emotions just kind of leak out unexpectedly. I like um, that term. So, yeah, um, you hold in a lot of stuff and that could mean sobbing at a TV show that you're like, why am I crying this <laughs> yeah. hard? It's not even that sad. Probably some pent up emotion you haven't let out or... Yeah getting super angry at the dog for doing something when yeah. um, <laughs> it's really that, good for your partner. The, the crying one's literally me. I always cry. Well, I think I'm just a crier anyway. You're an emotional yeah. being. I'm an you? emotional person. Like I was watching Moana the other day and I was just crying. I was like, Lucy, pull yourself together, woman. You're fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's definitely me. We've we've had like t- conversations on this before about, um, is it monogamy and being like non-monogamous and stuff? Because mm-hmm. we had a conversation with Chris Wills on previous podcasts and we were talking about things like, I think it was less than 10% of mammal species are monogamous, like compared with 90% of like bird species, even in primates, where it's more common only about a quarter species are monogamous. And all early ancestors were, weren't monogamous. And the practice probably didn't take off until... Is it, I think I've made a note of like Homo erectus emerged around like 1.9 million years ago. So Ooh. I think it's interesting the concept is, of of monogamy because is so, monogamy like a we is that us like in a relationship? relationship? Yeah, but yeah. some people like will have different rules within their relationship of like what they stick to and what they deem as appropriate and and not appropriate. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So e- evolutionary psychologists were one of the things I took down from that Chris Wills podcast. 
suggested that men are more likely to have ex- extramarital sex, partially due to the male urge to spread genes by broadcasting sperm. What is your what is your kind of view on that? Um, that is true, but we're seeing this even out a little bit um, okay. over the years as women. That was definitely more true when women were staying home and didn't have as much opportunity to go out and meet people. Um, As women have gotten more opportunity, they're joining the workforce, they're traveling for work. Now there's online dating. We are seeing, we can get off our high horse, ladies. We're not any more ethical. (laughs) That was, was, you just gone over one of my questions because one of my questions was going to be based on like, how do you think gender roles? changing like more like over more recent years has had an impact on people's relationships Mm -hmm. it's definitely had an impact i think women are expecting more out of men than we ever have Mm -hmm. um before you know like in the 50s it used to be okay to just bring home a paycheck make babies with me and you know i'm gonna take care of the rest because i don't really have a choice Mm -hmm. um now with women being much more independent our expectations are way higher around emotional support and connection and um, physical support, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to just, for most women these days, it's not enough to just bring home a paycheck and give me babies. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, there's a massive rise in women like really wanting to have their own businesses to work and things like that. Cause I'm, I'm obviously super strong in terms of like women empowerment because that's just like part of my job and and what I do. And we've always had that really good understanding yeah. in our relationship. It's never been, been bring me a paycheck and do it that way. And we've always had that understanding in our relationship, which is why I think we probably did gel together quite well at the start. Um, Cause I, I mean, I hope it's not as it was that many years. You know how like it's like women are expected to do this yeah. and expected to do that. Is that not as strong anymore? I mean, I wouldn't know, so I'm also just asking the question. Is that not as strong anymore as it used to be? I think it really depends where in the world yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, in, you know, more westernized societies, yes, I think that's shifting significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many parts of the world, it's not. Yeah. Women are really marginalized in many parts of the world still. I mean, including in Western mm-hmm. civilizations, there's still not total equality, which is why there is feminism and, yeah. and fighting for the rights, but it's evening out quite a bit. I suppose it depends on families as well and their, like the family culture of growing up in the traditional home with traditional relationships and then that being continued with the family name later in, in life. Some people are just used to growing up with that and will continue that into their their own relationships and their own family lives. Absolutely. I think that's true for any part of your relationship. What you saw and what you experienced in childhood has a huge influence on how you show up in all aspects of your relationship. Mm -hmm. One of the, we obviously briefly touched on, or you briefly brought up about some of the dating apps, obviously on a slightly Mm -hmm. different note, one of the big apps that has took off, I think, I think it especially took off during COVID was OnlyFans. Um, mm-hmm. And do you, I know you can't t- talk too much about personal client cases, but do you see it often in any cases where people or couples or partners are using the OnlyFans as in a relationship? Because in, I think from what I've heard, some of the, 
people who are in relationships doing OnlyFans are some of the biggest earners on the platform as well. Mm-hmm. I have heard that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had clients who have OnlyFans accounts and use it as a source of income. Yeah. Um, in my experience, not none that I can think of that are doing it as a couple. But I know I've, I've heard the same thing and seen the same thing, I think, on a documentary about it. It was really interesting. Yeah. Has yeah. there been... Well, that's probably maybe a question just direct, directed at you more so. Do you think this causes quite a few issues in relationships? Say, for example, if... So for me personally, if Ben was on OnlyFans, I'm like, nope, no thanks, not for me. And again, it probably is very personal preference, same as the liking pictures on social media and things like that. It depends on your personality traits and what you're like as a person. But I believe like OnlyFans goes up another level because I, I mean, I don't have it. I've never been on it. I'm not sure what it's like. But from your perspective, do you think that's you? You're going into like the next boundary, almost like crossing that next line. Yeah, I think it's certainly a step above liking people's pictures on Instagram because you pay a subscription. Mm-hmm. You're interacting with those people sometimes. Um, so certainly, but I mean, I know of people who's boyfriends or husbands take the photos for them to post on OnlyFans. I just can't fucking accept that. <laughs> that you can sit at home and just be taking photos of your missus to post online and go, get a couple of quid in there, love, for, for your nudes online. I just can't mm-hmm. accept that being being normalized. At least we agree on I that. Do, yeah, but I just, can't, I just can't see how that chain of thought comes. I mean, I, I guess for some people, finance at the time, it may be like the only source of income or to, it, for some people, it's like an easy source of income. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. I just think later down the line in life, people can screenshot photos and it's, that's always in the wank bank for later on, isn't it? Well, I I don't think everyone on OnlyFans is naked. I mean, a lot of people don't take naked photos. They take yeah. provocative, suggestive photos, but you see a lot of that on fitness accounts too. Yeah, right? yeah, true, so true. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be porn. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be like a close connection though because you'll see a lot of people who are coaches who don't do very well in the fitness industry and realize oh well i actually look quite good and i can make money from taking photos and putting them behind the paywall so that we see that quite a lot in the fitness industry from failed coaches who go over and do like only fans and stuff as well but that is true about only fans because they had well one of their marketing people scouts i don't know what you call them had reached out to me via email and they said, like, we're trying to get creators on the platform. Oh, yeah, we had a couple of those emails, haven't we? Yeah, it's not, like, what you think it is. And they were they were basically trying to say they're, they're trying to get away from the yeah. idea that it's porn because it was very heavily at the start, but then different creators are coming. I mean, I still wouldn't personally just because of the, the name and how it's associated, but they did reach out and said, look, it's not what you think it is. We're trying to change mm-hmm. the idea behind it, which I guess is a positive for them, but then... I think the name from what it was yeah. like when it first came out it's quite hard to not think about that um that's because the, bra- the brand though i think was already starting to be associated with that yeah kind of thing wasn't yeah. it as well and they had that big issue i think a year or two ago of like one of the paywalls was you're talking about getting rid of one of the payment gateways and all the creators were going mad mm-hmm. about it because they were going to lose income from certain revenues on OnlyFans and people had like financed cars and took mortgages out based on the fact they were earning such and such a rate from OnlyFans, which is basically going to destroy the life. So I think OnlyFans ended up going back on the the withdrawal of the certain gateway they were getting rid of. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
one of this is actually kind of a follow-on question and i was on your instagram page looking at the stats that you're putting up and this is more so about sex and orgasms <laughs> which i'm completely comfortable talking about so young adults 18 to 29 have sex around two times per week older adults i'm not sure what that age group category was one times per week and then over 70 10 times per week and we had myself, Cal and Ben had a Wait, conversation. Wait, no, say the over 71 again, I think. Oh, 10 was... times per year. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, wow. <laughs> Cal, just, Cal just looked at me then like, she Lucy, I think you said that wrong. <laughs> I said the over 70s are like, like having sex rabbits. the most. Yeah, sorry guys, <laughs> 10 times per year. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, no, myself, okay. Ben like, and Cal, <laughs> that's definitely wrong. Um, yeah. Myself, Ben and Cal were talking about this and because sex is a very intimate part of your relationship. And I personally think what's happened with online and even movies and films, like um, what's a really good example? Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, people start comparing their relationship and they feel something's wrong with inside their relationship because it's not like the movies and it's not like the fantasy that they see. Is that something that you notice or it's quite common? Mm-hmm. I got so many comments like that on that. Um, those There were two posts about research on the number of partners that people have had and then how often people have sex. And yes, because Instagram has become, or just social media has become such a comparison game. A lot of the comments were like, "What? why are you posting this? It's just going to make people feel bad. And, you know, as a psychologist, it's just information. Yeah, yeah. You can interpret it however you mm -hmm. want. You definitely shouldn't be comparing yourself to anyone else. But some people like to know, oh, this is what's considered a quote unquote, I, I wouldn't even say normal, actually, just average. Average, right? yeah. Just, yeah. There's no normal. Yeah, yeah. So whether you're having, whether you're asexual and not having sex at all, and that's what you want or you're having sex every day, it doesn't matter as long as it's what you, you mm -hmm. and your partner want. Yeah. It's tough because a lot of partners have different sex drives as well. And that obviously is a challenge to navigate, but seeing statistics like this might help in a conversation like that where one partner might be like, we should be having sex four times a week and the other one is wanting to have sex once a week. They can say, well, okay, it seems your sex drive is a little higher than average. <laughs> And we meet in the middle here. Yeah, I think that's also a really important topic to have with your partner because I mean, some people might find it awkward to have that conversation about mm -hmm. sex and yeah, some might think, oh God, my sex drive is not as high as my partner's. What am I going to do? So even us talking about it now, someone might go to their partner tomorrow and be like, so just about your sex drive. Can we just discuss that? And it shouldn't be an awkward topic of conversation i think there's still a little bit of taboo around it i think so around what sex and just porn. talking about sex and porn openly yeah. and having open discussions with your partner i just don't think it's that i guess common yeah I, I think again it comes down to the the way that the language and the communication that you use like how would what would you advise people to do in in respect to bringing up that topic with the partner because again it's not for a lot of people an easy conversation to to potentially have mm-hmm I think whenever you're trying to start a conversation that you're uncomfortable about, it's really helpful to just state that you're uncomfortable from the get-go yeah. and start with, hey, I want to bring something up. I feel really awkward doing this, so please be gentle with me. I might be weird. <laughs> I yeah. might blush. 
I do want to talk about our sex life. Mm -hmm. Are you open to that? And then your partner is going to feel empathy for you if you're being vulnerable and saying, I'm scared to do this, Mm -hmm. but here goes versus being like, we need to talk about our sex life. Cause sometimes when we're nervous, we just blurt something out or get aggressive Mm -hmm. as a way to feel powerful. And that is usually not a helpful approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that approach that you said is really good. Just kind of hedging the conversation and just saying, look, might be a little bit weird, but I just need to ask you something because then you're not you're not going in full speed ahead. It's just a very casual but important conversation to have as well. Yeah, again, I think that comparison thing is, is really big with like porn and stuff as well. And even the movie, what was the movie you quoted? Fifty Shades of Grey. I remember when that came out and I think it was at the cinemas and girls just banging on about it. I think even guys felt a certain pressure and like, wow, I've got to be like, what's the guy's name? Christian Grey. Christian Grey. <laughs> I, I even felt a pressure. I was like, wow, do I need to fucking do something? Because it was really- Get un- your red yeah, room. It was really unrealistic. <laughs> but I think that happens with porn as well because people yeah. will watch porn and be like, wow, why aren't we having sex for like an hour? And she's screaming the house down like some absolute mm-hmm. psychopath because that's what people watch mm-hmm. on porn sets, which are essentially like, well, they're all films, aren't they? So people- sort of like social media see this kind of highlight of what things look like and have those expectations and think they are going to be carried over into their their life but not everyone's relationship is like that so i suppose how can people still watch porn in relationships but not have those expectations so this is you're bringing up such an important point um today's 20 something year olds even 30 year olds grew up watching porn since 10, 11 years old, sometimes maybe even earlier. And that's how they learned about sex and porn is most porn is created to, um, to the pace of men's masturbation. First of all, it's not created to the pace of a woman's Mm. actual arousal and desire and her needs. So it creates a lot of misattuned men um, in the bedroom and then it's also very aggressive Mm. to women so it's super important not to base your expectations for sex around porn because it's marginalizing of women it's for men's pleasure and not women's and Mm. it's just not realistic women do not respond that way in real life and then men or boys who are having sex are gonna think what am I doing wrong in the video, this woman was like so excited to have sex with this guy who just looked at her. And then she was having an orgasm two minutes later, 30% of women don't even orgasm from penetrative sex. So that's just not, no, I'm sorry, 70% of women. Really? So that's that's just not, is it 70 or I forget now there's, I'll have to look it up and I can Mm. look it up before we finish, but it's one or the other only i think yeah only 30 percent orgasm from penetrative sex so if there's not clitoral stimulation which porn does not show a lot of the time men are going to feel inadequate women are going to feel dissatisfied so yeah definitely don't learn how to have sex from porn (laughs) yeah i think even even like for me as a male like when i watched it when i was younger like that was the only i suppose video form that you ever saw of it and yeah yeah, it's it's super aggressive it is like really demoralizing for a lot of the, the females because it's depicted in in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Almost like to, I mean, depending like obviously where you watch porn, it's like 
you could watch it and be like, well, it's almost like the person's a slave. And that's why like a lot of the, the sites depict of yeah. women. So yeah. you can you can see why people potentially pick up traits or people pick up chains of thought, which aren't relative to real life situations as well. Yeah. And then what also happens is um, boys who grow up learning about sex from porn and watching porn, we're seeing this epidemic of 20 something year olds having erectile dysfunction issues because they're so used to being aroused by unrealistic situations and by video, which is honestly so much more stimulating in mm -hmm. some ways than being with an actual partner where things can get weird and awkward and don't always go <laughs> according to the perfection that you see in porn. And they're just not that into it because they're so attuned and um, normalized the video experience. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you saw um, an interview with Terry Crews recently. Um, mm. He was on the Stephen podcast. And I think he was talking about his addiction with porn. And yeah. I th I'm sure he mentioned at some point that he actually preferred watching porn to having uh, mm -hmm. sex with his wife because he got so addicted to it. And he would get up at like from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. He would just watch porn. Yeah. It became so... And like time would just dissolve. He was so engulfed in watching porn his day would just be gone and he preferred that to having sexual intercourse with his wife because he got so emerged in it mm -hmm. well and it's way less vulnerable mm -hmm. i mean sex your partner might not be into what you're doing they might reject you and porn never rejects you the woman or the man is always ready um it's just unrealistic mm -hmm. the way their bodies look is usually unrealistic it's just yeah yeah 100% and I read something on your page as well and this was really, <laughs> I read the stat to Ben um that women it can take them up to 13 minutes to orgasm and guys is like literally five minutes so that mm -hmm. difference like a guy could orgasm and then obviously the woman's like give me another 10 minutes and a lot of the time that probably doesn't happen again with porn it just right. seems to happen in unison at the same time, like very unrealistic. And I read that stat and it's just quite surprising. Yeah, I thought it was being quite generous, the guy. <laughs> and just the, the give or, I think with women, it was a give or take seven minutes. So it's obviously completely personal. But again, just a really important point to bring up with the whole porn thing. It was very simultaneously, it's all perfect all the time. And realistically, in real life, it's not, it's actually not supposed to be like that. It It's just not. It's just really mm. important, I think, to yeah. hone in. Yeah. Do, do you think people can get a balance of like ha of people watching porn whilst in relationships and still operating in a, like a healthy sexual relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people do that mm. and are just fine. It, you just have to kind of watch yourself. Just like some people can have a really healthy relationship with alcohol and mm -hmm. drink occasionally yeah. and and socially and they're fine. And then other people end up becoming alcoholics and have to abstain from it completely. It's the same with porn. Mm -hmm. If you have boundaries with it, if you have an understanding that this isn't, in the case of porn, this isn't reality and, and set your expectations accordingly, mm -hmm. it can be a great outlet. It can be a great thing to do together as a couple as well. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing inherently wrong with watching porn. It's just how you consume it. Yeah. Yeah. One, just to quickly um, sort of switch topics to something that you touched on 
before and it was about working on relationships. Um, I think you've you've spoken before about um the feeling of like unfulfilled relationships. Um, what does it mean to have for you to have a fulfilled relationship? Mm, that's such a good question. I know I it's very it's, general. Again, yeah, I feel like I'm answering so many of your questions, mm. but it's unique to the individuals <laughs> as it really is. Um, but so there, there is research on this mm. as well. Um, what goes into a happy, healthy relationship is two people who have built a strong friendship, who help people feel, help each other feel loved and admired and respected, who attend to each other's needs, whether it be a need for physical touch or conversation or quality time spent together. Um, people who can manage conflict effectively, who can share similar values and goals in life and um, really just also have trust and commitment as kind of the pillars holding up this relationship. Mm-hmm. So those, I just walked you through the um, Gottman's Sound Relationship House, which is basically what's come out of their research, um, all these different scales that go into a happy, healthy relationship. Does that come into at all the five love five love languages? I think they are. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's separate from what I just talked about, but I, it definitely interweaves, especially when you talk about meeting each other's needs and helping each other feel loved and admired. Mm. That looks different depending on your love language. Yeah, because we actually have like different love languages, don't we? Yeah. Like mine's gift giving, but luckily mm-hmm. Ben's is like gift receiving. Yeah. <laughs> so that one oh, works good. really well. Um, and mine's like, like, a, mine's like affection. <laughs> and Ben had actually read, no, you listened to the audio book on it, like the five love languages. Years and ago, yeah. years ago, and that was one of the the exercises that we did together to find out our love languages so we could kind of understand what the other person would like the most from how do you even explain that i think it makes you more self-aware doesn't it yeah more self-aware of what but that was completely random that you fell across that and then just carried on listening and then we're like oh let's find out our love languages and take a quiz yeah i feel like that's the first kind of relationship development thing that all couples get into is the five love languages yeah it's because it's a really simple concept but it's really earth shattering when you learn oh I have a way that I feel loved and cared about that might not be the same way as my partner Mm -hmm. so I could be giving them all the physical affection in the world but if their love language is words of affirmation and I'm not saying I love you you look great today thank you for doing that then they're not going to feel loved Mm -hmm. yeah really really important actually because they they're quite different as well aren't they like you said the affirmation so speaking and then physical touch they're two completely different things so to be able to communicate with your partner so if you are listening now on the podcast go with your partner now or whenever you can and do the online quiz of the five love languages well yeah sarah's also got a quiz which you can fill in from her i think i found the link on your instagram page which is a yeah we'll link that as well well. so we'll link that in um i could be wrong with this and of course you can correct me but this is just like my view of how i've interpreted and very generalized relationships and almost created an analogy from it is similar to like mental health you have to be proactive with with working on things to have a good level of mental health and we often find from people that we spoke to from in fitness and um, other aspects of life, people will often wait until it 
reaches like a certain point and then do something about it. People do it with fitness. I mean, people do it with a lot of different aspects of their lives. Like people do it with fitness in terms of they'll let them get, so get to a certain point and then it'll be like, right, I'm at rock bottom or I'm at a point where my, my self-confidence is super low. So now I'm going to do something about it. Do you feel or get the sense that this sometimes happens when people come to you is that people will allow it to get to a certain point without being um, proactive with it. They're very reactive with the way that they deal with things. Yes. And I really cannot encourage you enough to get help at the first sign of challenges Mm -hmm. because it's just simple skill building. Most of the time, no one teaches you how to be in a healthy relationship. Even if you had grew up in a family where healthy relationships were modeled for you, you still didn't get, usually nobody sat you down and taught you how to do it. So you might kind of intuitively learn some things, but not others. And it's, there's no shame in needing to learn and build some skills at all. You wouldn't go to a job and then just have to start the job without any training. Of course. And this is the most important (laughs) job of your life. (laughs) I agree. Do you think just on that point as well, there's a stigma around couple therapy in terms of if you go to couple therapy, your relationship is obviously on the rocks or it's you're about to break up. Do you think there's quite a strong stigma behind it when it's actually not all that? Yeah, I am seeing that change for sure over the years, but there are many people who still have that stigma. Um, I'm encouraged though. My practice is mostly unmarried couples who are either living together or just even dating without living together Mm -hmm. and maybe thinking they want to get married, but they're not sure yet. And they want to work out some of the challenges before making that next step to getting engaged. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great time to go to therapy and you don't, I mean, there's online courses too. I'm going to be coming out with one soon. That's kind of a relationship enhancing course. That's great for couples in that scenario where it's like, do we really, do we need help? Do we not need help? Maybe do something that's just an online course to see how much that benefits you. And then if you want more one-on-one support, then go to therapy. But Mm -hmm. there is no shame in doing personal development of any kind. And relationship development is also personal development. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Another question which may be quite general in or maybe unique to cases is we obviously talked about working on relationships is there any kind of like key indicators or warning signs when it's like right enough's probably enough like looking at the sunken cost fallacy where you've just with someone because you've spent so much time and energy with this individual that you feel like i'm just going to stay with him for the fact that i've invested a lot into this relationship yeah i mean i see that for sure and it's it's a tough decision to leave a long-term relationship for anyone. I'd say really clear signs that it's not a healthy relationship. If there's physical violence, Um, you know, again, that can change, but you've got to get individual help. Both of you. Um, That's not a couples therapy issue at that point. It's not safe to do couples therapy. If there's physical violence in your relationship, because it stirs up feelings and Mm -hmm. then can lead to more violence afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really clear red flag that it might be time, no matter how much time you've invested to figure out an exit strategy. Um, If you're fighting, I don't know, three or four times a week and um, really just cannot seem to get a handle on it, 
even with therapy, again, that's a skill building issue a lot of the Mm -hmm. time, but then, yeah, you might want to think about either there's two things, either it's your individual issues that need to be healed, your own personal trauma before you can be in a healthy relationship with anyone, or this just is too toxic of a tango and it's just hitting on too much of your childhood wounding and probably time to find a different partner. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, again, it varies so much. So yeah, I don't want to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is so statement. individual. Well, I guess that sunken cost fallacy becomes even more kind of appropriate or in terms of investments in the relationships, it couldn't be any bigger than when someone has had children. And that's potentially one of the main reasons of why mm-hmm. the relationship is is kind of hanging on the only reason potentially why some people are staying together yeah so um i'm glad you bring that up because a lot of people do stay together for the kids and if you're fighting a lot and the kids are exposed to that it's actually a lot less healthy for the children for you to stay together than to separate and them not be exposed to that level of hostility and fighting it's really dysregulating for a child's nervous system to be around that mm-hmm. and it can cause a lot of problems later in life for them yeah that actually isn't even something that i don't think a lot of people would even think about that they think about let's stay together for the kid Mm -hmm. but if they're exposed to i don't know if it it was violence or just emotional abuse or whatever it is hearing those words and hearing the two people closest to you argue Mm -hmm. doesn't nobody want nobody wants to hear that Mm -hmm. I, i haven't even thought about it in that way before but it that completely makes sense so i'm really glad you said that yeah i wonder how much of an impact that does have of people's perception of relationships with children saying key role models in your life have such a poor relationship a lot Mm -hmm. so the quiz you mentioned on my website is actually an attachment style quiz and that can have a big impact on people's attachment style is what they see how they receive love from their parents but also what they see between their parents with that, actually, because I have a, f- a few friends whose parents have been divorced and mm. it's made them never want to get married in case they go through a divorce as well. With situations like, I mean, because I don't know what to suggest. If I, I don't know how to answer that question. How would you approach that if anyone listening to the podcast, if their parents have got a divorce and then it's come on to them and they don't know how to approach it? I would start by reading a lot of books on relationships and just educating yourself in the way that I'm guessing the parents probably didn't. And that can do a lot to build your confidence and skills to be, to have a healthy relationship mm. and maybe give you some hope that it is possible. Mm-hmm. You're not trapped when you have a bad relationship. There's so much you can do to fix it and change it and change yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think a lot of times people feel like the only solution is stay and be miserable or get a divorce, which is also really hard. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're not as miserable afterwards, but during it's certainly pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned about working with married couples and then potentially people who are, are looking to get engaged for, for anyone who's listening, who's like on the fence about getting engaged or getting married is there potential things that or questions that people should be asking of themselves or of their relationship and probably questions mm-hmm. that I should have asked about two or three weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> if only we had recorded yeah. this yeah. before you left. <laughs> um, I would suggest having conversations around values, what you value in life and 
what your goals are in life and making sure that they're aligned enough that you can see a future together. Mm-hmm. Um, if one of you wants to live in Egypt and the other wants to live in America, that's tough. Um, or if one of you wants to have kids and the other doesn't, there's really no compromise there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certain things that you should definitely talk about that might be deal breaker items. Yes. And then um, aside from that, talking about kids, money, religion, anything that is going to go into how you share your life together, just mm-hmm. kind of understanding where you guys are each at on that before making that decision. How early do you think, like, <laughs> is in obviously, again, very personal preference. Me and Ben have been together two months. So I was like, do you want to get married and have kids? Because that's just me as a person. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're the type of person, by the way, Lu- before I even proposed to Lucy, she was actively emailing wedding venues so that this was is before, actually this is before there was any inkling that we were even getting married by the way but she said she had no yeah, idea yeah I she don't was know. emailing <laughs> wedding venues how much is this costing i was like whoa slow down no no well yeah i, I think that's what i that's just what i mean i've been planning a wedding since i was like five you were actively we subconsciously pushing the, the the horse down the road yeah you? well aside from that yeah. Is, is there a point where it's almost too early to ask the question to the person you started seeing in terms of, do you want kids or marriage or anything like that? There's just personal. No, I think you should ask it first date or first few messages in the apps if it's not clear on their profile. Why invest time in somebody who has a deal breaker for you? It's, yeah. it's just heartbreaking, especially if you fall in love with someone and then find out you want kids and they don't or the other way around. Um, you know, I think this varies by age as well. It depends why you're dating. Mm-hmm. If you're 20, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody at, at 20, you may not even have the same idea about whether or not you want kids than you do at 30. So, but let's say you're 30 and dating. I think you should have those conversations immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important to note because I guess some people might be shy to have that conversation and I think it's it's okay to kind of yeah. ask the question. I mean, even you asked the question as well. That wasn't even just me being me and all emotional. Yeah. That was a two-sided conversation we both had. So yeah. if there's any guys listening, don't feel scared to have those conversations. One of the things that just came to mind to me then from the conversation we've been having is on the, the sunken cost fallacy and you, I'm guessing we'll have some of these conversations with, with clients is, and I'm sure there'll be people, there'll be listeners who will be potentially in these situations where when couples get together really, really young, like I was in a relationship for 10 years, which I was just in it because I'd been with the person for a long time since mm-hmm. I was very young and with completely changed as individuals across that, that course. Cause it was like, um, you're about 14? 14 to 24. So, and the change in that period is very big. Oh yeah, your brain doesn't even finish developing as a man until 26. Yeah, I've got a big brain so, as well. So I met you at 26. <laughs> That's great. Um, how how do you kind of approach those situations with like potential couples that you speak to when people are just two different people because they're just essentially that old time just grown apart? You know, it can be so heartbreaking for those couples because they've developed such a friendship yeah. and a fondness and respect for each other. Mm. But yes, they may be in completely different places. Mm-hmm. So I think just, again, kind of what I said before, going through values and life goals and seeing 
and just acknowledging these things change over time. Mm -hmm. You are a completely different person at 24 than you are at 14, without a doubt. 14, you're still trying on all these different personalities and identities and seeing what feels like you. Um, even at 24, I think I was definitely still doing that. <laughs> so, um, it's just helping them kind of come to terms with you're different and that's okay. Yeah. And it wasn't a lost decade mm -hmm. um, in that sense. Like you learn and grow so much through relationship and just because you outgrow a relationship or it ends does not mean it was a failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I suppose off the back of that, on a slightly different note, for those people who... <clears throat> potentially come to ends of relationships we spoke a lot obviously about relationships but for those people who potentially come to end of those relationships at later points in life and those people who feel like god I'm, I'm this age and i should be settled down by now i should be with a partner like i'm gonna there's no one out there for me how would you kind of um help someone change that mindset of really being consumed by negativity and the fact that there's no one out there for me i'll, I'll like never find the, the perfect relationship or i'll never find love or i suppose it's a double-ended question this is even those people who are maybe perfectionists and just have standards that are too high those are usually people who have an avoidant attachment style okay. by the way um you know i think you can find love at any age there's and especially with online dating, this is one of the blessings we talk about how there's mm -hmm. pros and cons. There are dating sites for older people, you know, maybe 50, 60 plus, I don't know what the age range is, where you can meet people. And there's so many people out there who either got divorced or a spouse died or they never found their person. There's somebody for everyone out mm -hmm. there. The avoidance one is that what you said the avoidance avoidant one. attachment style yeah talk to us about that um so there's four different attachment styles and that's basically how you act in relationship and how you attach to your partner and with avoidant attachment style they tend to be individuals who like more space in a relationship they find it a little bit harder to connect to their emotions than most of the other attachment styles they tend to be um searching for perfection and have an idealized version of this like perfect partner that's out there for them. Even when they're in relationship, sometimes they're comparing to an idealized ex or comparing to a fantasy of a partner that might be out there that's better. And they just tend to be a little bit less um, connected mm -hmm. than some of the other attachment styles. So it's basically like Shallow Hall. Have you ever seen that film? I have. Um, yeah, I think he would be classified as an avoidant attachment yeah. style. <laughs> that was a and great And then he film. switched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they completely reversed. Yeah, because he only saw and the, he became, the inner beauty. And then yeah. he turned into a secure attachment style. Yeah. One mm -hmm. of the, the really interesting things, and again, we did a podcast with Chris Wills, and he spoke about in relationships that he basically has like three non-negotiables, like only mm. three. Like there could, I mean, there could be a lot of different things with those perfectionist people. So three non-negotiables, for example, the drive in someone's termination. I would personally want the person to be into fitness and things like that. And having three non-negotiables, do you think that's, I guess, like kind of a good method to have for a, like finding a partner? Or because I don't think three is that many. I feel well, you could you could I, you could end up going on forever, couldn't you? If... Mm. You could. I think three mm. to five. Mm. I think three is a bit low. 
Five. Please um, tell Chris it's five non-negotiables. Got low standards, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah. you know, everyone's got their own. It depends. Some people have a lot of things that are really important to them, and yeah. they um, value this is again an avoidant attachment style mindset, probably value independence over relationship. Mm-hmm. So unless it's a really good fit, they're happy being single, and yeah. it's not necessarily a huge enhancement to their life to be in a relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's and that's, sometimes viewed as more of a burden, even. Mm-hmm. I think that's also a valid point, though, because not everybody in the world does want to be in relationships anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like an essential thing. It's just one of the things that does happen very commonly in human mm-hmm. life. Um, but I think that's actually important that not every single person wants to actually be in a relationship and that's okay because there is a lot of stigma behind that as well in terms mm-hmm. of, it's always that thing um, you see it on social media when women go past 30 and they're single, it's seen as like traumatic and mm. it's like, why is that <laughs> even a thing? That is That is ridiculous. Yeah, it is 100% okay to not want to be in a relationship. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I suppose it's it's yeah. also though when you're ready because thing from like one year to the next things can change so much in the way that your thought process is, the way that you think, the way that your circumstances are financially, the way that your your goals are driven, the 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 future okay. and what you've got planned for that can change. Or the level of your emotional healing and readiness. Mm-hmm. Or who, or, big... Yeah, or who you bump into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think um one of the good things potentially for us to wrap up on with something that we were, we were talking about before with you working with couples who are considering getting married or getting married what potential like tips could we give for people especially like me and lucy because we're just going into engagement and then into married life what like nuggets of information can you give people who are trying making that maybe thinking about making that transition or currently in that transition or who are in those early stages of marriage Um, don't shy away from premarital counseling and a lot of religious organizations offer it if people are religious and then a lot of therapists couples therapists um, provide premarital counseling as well and I think it's just a great way to deepen your connection to get to know each other better you'll talk about things like your expectations for kids and if you want them how you want to raise them things like how you want to even down to how you want to discipline them or the values you want to instill in them, um, how you want to handle finances when you get married, whether you're going to keep separate finances or combine some of them or all of them. Those are things you should talk Mm -hmm. about. Um, How you like to keep the house if you don't live together already, that might be something important to talk about. There's, There's so many conversations a lot of couples might not think to have mm. or may not think to ask the level of detailed questions mm-hmm. that a premarital counselor will facilitate. Yeah. Sex, definitely talk about sex, likes and dislikes and frequency and and fantasies. I mean, there's a million questions you can ask each other about sex. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's important because, I mean, to be honest, I didn't know there's anything called pre-marriage counselor. That's something new to me anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think, and again, I think that's why it's useful that we have these conversations as well, because there'll be there'll be terms that I've even looked at during this podcast or some of the background research that I was doing that I didn't even know what it was or didn't really even understand because it's not something that we commonly see. Mm-hmm. 
I just had a, I know you said that was a roundup question, but I just had no, one final, fine, yeah. one final really important question. And this is just more so down the topic of if you're in a relationship, if someone's in a relationship and there's domestic abuse in that relationship mm. for, I don't know, somebody could be listening who's currently going through it and doesn't have a clue what to do. How can that individual reach out for help without, because they're scared of their partner and like, what could, I know they have even things like at Starbucks where you can go in and say a specific name and you'll go and get help. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but do you have any, just a bit of help on that in case we have a few listeners for whatever reason that's happening yeah. to Yeah, very important question. Um, The hotline.org is a good website that has a ton of domestic violence resources. It's important to have a safety plan in place if you're going to leave, because that's often the most dangerous time in your relationship is when you do leave the abuser. Um, So working with a domestic violence organization on how to create that, but it, it would be things like, where are you going? How are you making sure that the abuser doesn't know where you are? Who can you call? Who's going to be your kind of support circle? How are you going to support yourself financially? A lot of times people stay because they don't have financial support, mm-hmm. um, which is why domestic violence shelters and resources are so important for those individuals. But yeah, the hotline.org, um, I think it's a US-based resource, but it'll have so much education mm-hmm. at the very least, and then probably links to other countries as well. Yeah, that's perfect. We can just make a note in the show notes. It's yeah. just in case, you know, relationship podcast, yeah. it's all yeah. happy and things, but just so people have that accessibility. Yeah, we'll, we'll put those links in. We'll also find um, some of the UK-based ones and pop those links into perfect. the description and the, the, the podcast information. But also, Sarah, um, if people want to find out more about yourself uh, and what you do and also take the quiz that we've just been speaking about, which we would highly recommend, where can people find out more about you and all the wonderful things that you do? Um, and couples learn on everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, Instagram is couples learn website is coupleslearn.com. And if you click the link in our bio, um, on the Instagram account, there's links to the quiz. And I think I have a healthy relationship quiz up there as well. So you can see if your relationship is healthy or not. Yeah. And, um, and Twitter, all that couples learn. So can can people from all over the world reach out to you with for therapy like uk because obviously we're uk based and so just thinking of those people is it completely just worldwide yes um uh, across the united states we can work with most states it depends on licensure but nationwide um we can definitely work with people it's myself and one other therapist in my practice currently and um i'm hoping to find more i just I'm very picky about how specialized they are in couples therapy and yeah. how they are. So it takes time to find someone that's really good. hundred percent. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Anyway, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who are taking a lot, lot out of this and hopefully we've um, helped or save some relationships, but then at the same time, hopefully help some people break away from relationships that they potentially were holding them back. Yeah. 100%. So for anyone listening, make sure you Follow Sarah's pages and tag us if you are listening to the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, YouTube, make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will be doing a giveaway on there very shortly. But yeah, thank you so much again, Sarah. It's been amazing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys.